This week, racism, prejudice, and the oppression of the indigenous people of Labrador. We speak with MHA Leela Evans. I'm Glenn Wheeler, and this is Mi'kmaq Matters, a podcast about Mi'kmaq people, politics, land, and water. This is episode 212, made possible with listener support. Become a patron at patreon.com slash Matters. A few weeks ago, Leela Evans took the latest step in her political journey by joining the NDP caucus in the Newfoundland and Labrador House of Assembly. The MHE for Torn Gap Mountains was first elected as a progressive conservative in 2019, but she came to the realization that the party was not prepared to step up for her Inuit and Inu communities in Labrador. Last October, she left the PCs to sit as an independent. Earlier this month, she joined the NDP. We spoke with Leela Evans about the legacy of residential schools for people in her district and about the bad deal that the north coast of Labrador gets in the provincial political system. Just for our listeners, uh, Torgat Mountains is one of four districts in the Labrador portion of the province. And um, to do a little visual, it's the the top portion, the kind of triangle part that runs right up to... uh, the, the point of Labrador there. And um, so, uh, and I was reading online that uh, there are about 20, uh, just over 2,100 voters in your district, but they uh, cover a wide area. I think uh, more than 100,000 square kilometers. Uh, so uh, it's a challenging, a challenging district to serve if you're the MHA. Well, it is. There's no road connection. Um, so we're dependent on flying in into winter. So we're depending on good weather. And uh, there's also a ferry that that travels during the summer. So mm. we're very isolated. Um, and all the communities in my district are Indigenous. Mm. They're Inu and Inuit communities. That's where the majority of the population is. And we have a expanding population. Like our population is quite young. Uh, we have a lot of family growth, mm. right? So. And uh, so let me let me ask you about about you. You uh, you were born and raised in Makovic, and um, and uh, which is part of uh, Nanatsiavut for uh, our listeners, the uh, Inuit uh, self government. And um, I suppose uh, when you grew up, uh, you. Um, well, you grew up in an Inuit uh, environment, so uh, I guess you were you were outside. I, I read that you you didn't get TV until you were fourteen, so you weren't uh, in front of your screen uh, on Facebook or watching TV. And I think it was only one channel when you got TV. So uh, probably rather than watching Tommy Hunter, you were outside uh, running around and and uh, and and living that kind of life as a as a kid. Well, when we got TV when I was fourteen, but it was taped. Oh. You know, we'd be watching the hockey game at uh, at, at lunchtime. Uh, you know, you'd be watching um, one of the big shows that was on uh, was Dallas back in the day, mm. or the soaps. Uh, you know, so it was it was all taped, and uh, 
Um, sometimes the weather would be delayed and the tapes didn't get in, so we'd be watching show re repeats. So it, uh, um, you know, it was it was it was quite different. Uh, yes. You had to fly. You had to fly to Goose Bay to, to watch live TV. Right? Oh wow. Yeah, so. so and so and you grew up. Uh, your uh, your grandmother, who's still alive, is one of the last remaining speakers of the Rigolet dialect of Inuktitut. Um, so that's uh, that's you know pretty amazing. Uh, so I suppose you uh, did you grow up hearing uh, the language uh, spoken on, on a regular basis when you were a kid. Well, the language in the communities um, were impacted by residential schools. My grandmother is 104. Uh, she 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 had to go to residential school. She went to residential school when she was six. Um, she didn't know much English when she went, uh, and she learned English. And um, her children also went to residential school. Um, so it wasn't spoken as much in the home. My mother and uh, you know, she sings in the Inuktitut choir, but um, she she doesn't. She's not she's not fluent in the language. Mm. And, but uh, I used to hear the language spoke a lot in my grandmother's house because a, a lot of the Inuit that were resettled from from uh, northern Maine um, to Makovic would come to my grandmother's house uh, to 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 visit, and they would speak in Inuktitut, speak in the language. So I, you know, I grew up hearing it, and uh, and it's still spoken in all the communities on the north coast. Hmm. Um, but with the youth now, and even people my age, is English is our primary language, right? Hmm. Yeah. So it's, yeah. Um. Now you um, you got in when you first got into uh, into politics. You were working at uh, Voices Bay, I think. And that was back in the uh, the 2019 uh, election, and um, you were working there. And a big issue at that time, you mentioned uh, the coastal boat, uh, the ferry service to that uh, to the north coast was a big issue because they were going to change the service to combine the passenger service and the freight service. And um, this was going to be, uh, you know, a scheduling, uh, a bit of a scheduling nightmare, I guess, to combine those two things. But also, the uh, the freight patterns would change. Uh, the the powers that be just assumed that the business people and the other people who relied on the freight service would get their stuff uh, otherwise now, um, other than uh, that ferry service. So, I guess it was an issue uh, for two reasons: one, just just the impact of that, but also it was kind of foisted on people without a lot of uh, uh, very much of a heads up, not a lot of consultation about the, the ferry service change. Well, Nunasivut government has land claims, right? Uh, so they have self-government. And they actually said in, um, they actually said publicly that the provincial government was in violation of their land claims agreement mm. because there was no consultation on this change in transportation. And uh, the biggest problem that uh, the communities in Northern Labrador had, our indigenous communities, was this would not benefit the people. It would create great hardship for the people. I had no interest in running for provincial politics. But at the time, just before election was called, they were going into the communities and telling them, and that was in the spring, that when the shipping season opened, 
that we were going to have this one one boat out of Goose Bay, and the freight boat that brought construction materials, food, community goods was not going to come from the island portion to the north coast now. It was going to be trucked from the island all the way up uh, central Newfoundland, up the northern peninsula, across the south coast of Labrador, into Goose Bay, and be put, out, put on, boat, um, on the boat. And that was going to actually increase the cost of goods. And um, the, the housing, like Turngat housing that builds low-income housing for, for, for people, um, you know, they were saying that their costs were going to be seriously impacted and was going to cut down on the number of houses they could do, the number of repairs they could do. Uh, we were so concerned about the prices. And now, two years later, we see the prices, you know, $17 for a box of cereal in Riglet. $28 for four fat pork chops in Nain. You know, we, we see the prices of the of the food gone up and uh, and everything that the Inuit and Inu leaders were telling this provincial government was going to happen has now happened mm -hmm. and it's impacting our is impacting our people. Mm -hmm. right? You ran at that time for the progressive conservatives and you're told uh Chess Crosby, the leader at the time, you said, Chess, I hope there is also a P in progressive conservative. And uh, it seemed like uh, you had a good relationship with Chess Crosby. And, uh, you know, I, I, th I think back to when he first ran as leader and the indigenous platform in the PC uh, campaign book, I remember, was the most extensive uh, at that time of any of the parties. So Chess is a complicated uh, person, I guess, and we saw that he gave money to the convoy there, but I think of him as a, as a person who, as a lawyer, maybe, maybe it was because he's a lawyer, understood the sort of the constitutional dimension of Indigenous uh, rights in, um, in the province, maybe more than some of the other, some of the other leaders. So um, what was your, uh, what was your experience working with Chess Crosby when you first got into politics? Well, I didn't know Chess Crosby. Um, you know, and what, the first conversation I had with them, I was, I was already a candidate. I was already campaigning. I was stuck in Hopedale in bad weather. It is spring, you know, there was a lot of water on the ice and, it, you know, the, the, the trail wasn't really passable and the planes couldn't fly. And um, I wanted to speak to Jess Crosby because I was, I was, I was struggling. Um, and the first thing I said to him is, well, Mr. Crosby, I hope you're more P than C. <laughs> Right, and he, he, he asked me what, being a lawyer, he asked me what I meant. And I said, I hope you're very progressive, you know. And, and I, I, did, I did choose the, the PC party to run with because, you know, I, I believed in what he stood for. And as I got to know him over the next two years, Chess Crosby cannot help, it's in his nature to be honest. Hmm. So he'll give you the, the hard news as well as the good news. And, uh, you know, and, and if you bring up a concern, he'll look into it. And if there's merit to it, he'll follow up on it. Hmm. And he was, he was involved with the residential, um, the residential school lawsuit for, for Newfoundland and Labrador, which really was Labrador. And, uh, you know, that experience, I think, impacted him. 
and it, it put a personal lens on the way he looked at the indigenous people of Newfoundland and Labrador. Mm. And, and also his father, John Crosby, who was a progressive conservative as well, um, started out as a liberal, you know, he was a, he seemed to be a, an ally for the Inu and the Inuit of Labrador and, and the Mi'kmaq as well. Mm. And uh, when you, he, so he left as leader of the party, uh, forced out, I, I guess, to some extent. And uh, I think you left the party at about the same time to sit as an independent. So was that, was that, did you leave because he left or, or was that just a coincidence that your departures were about the same time? It wasn't the same time, but it wasn't a coincidence. Uh, you know, I sat through the, the spring sitting and then I went through the summer before I actually left, uh, you know, but um, I, I'm, politics is, 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 is different uh, than what people, what the general public, uh, their perception of politics. It's, um, there's not a lot of integrity. There's not a lot of social conscience, uh, decision-making, and, and, and really the greater good is not looked after. And it makes me very angry. Uh, you know, uh, I'm not disillusioned. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm educated and informed on really how politics works in this province now. And I now understand why for so many decades, the, the indigenous people, especially the indigenous people of Labrador, you know, were neglected, uh, you know, and it, it's almost criminal. Mm. It, it really is when you look at, and I, because, you know, we've been tainted as alcoholics, uh, you know, um, um, addictions issues, um, uh, a lot of, lot of problems. And, 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 and that, that actually allows people to be okay with with us not being helped mm. you know uh, when you look at the rest of the province when you look at um, services and infrastructure that was provided as as the province of Newfoundland and Labrador evolved from the from the 50s 60s 70s 80s up up, up until now you know, each community progressed, roads were developed, docks were put in, uh, you know, um, services, uh, access to goods and, and services, um, transportation, medical services. Each of the communities in the province were connected and, 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 and the services evolved, but on the North Coast, they didn't. Mm. You no, know, and, uh, you know, we never even got airstrips until, their, until the 1980s. And before that, um, single-engine otters were landing on the harbor, froze over, or landed on the on the ocean during the summer. And uh, there used to be a transition from winter to summer where we didn't get any flights at all. And uh, you know, and and everybody else in the province now is connected by road, but we were not. And you know, and the PC party was telling me. You know, was was telling me, well, Lila, you know, we're not going, we're not going to give you a road. That was said right to my face. The liberals weren't giving us road access. The progressive conservatives were saying, and I naively said, the federal government is going to pay for it, not the province. 
You wanted an extension of the Trans-Canada, Trans-Labrador Highway up uh, up the North Coast. Yes, and you know something, we're land-based. We're land-based in the province of Newfoundland and Labrador, the only communities not connected other than the six indigenous communities are all on islands. Mm. And and I keep saying like, like I have to advocate for my people. Like we're, we're so far behind now that if things don't change, we'll never catch up. But like for me, honestly, what I'm trying to do now is like I went independent because I realized that the only way that, that I can actually help my district is to shame the government into addressing all these gaps, show them, show the population of Newfoundland and Labrador the gaps. And, and the population of Newfoundland and Labrador has to say, you know, when you look at it, that's not right. Something needs to be done about that because the political will is not there unless there's pressure from, you know, from the province. Did you hear from uh, Nunasivut or from, uh, from uh, Nabashish, the Inu community about your decision to uh, join the NDP caucus? Did they have a, a view about it that they think it was a good idea? For me to go with the NDP, it was more about getting support sincere, honest support for the problems that my district has had for many years, you know? So the NDP is, is actually does support, you know, um, indigenous people, uh, also uh, vulnerable people, um, you know, people who have been disenfranchised or social economic um, uh, groups that, that need help. Um, and they're advocates for, for I guess, um, pe- regular people. And it's not about big businesses. Because the way I, you know, like, I'm not making any friends. But honestly, I'm not going to get anything anyway. So if I, if I be quiet and, and not saying anything, not complain, hoping to get a little bit, you know, like a little bit is not going to, to help my district and the silence has not worked. So for me, the, the Liberal Party is about their specific business friends. Mm. The PCs is about this big business and it's who contributes to the campaigns. It's always about looking at the next election. And and you know something, that's a, that's a, a really beneficial strategy to get in power and to retain power, but it doesn't help the people of the province. It doesn't help the province. And I think that's part of the reason why we're in such a crisis. Newfoundland is teetering on the verge of bankruptcy, Mm. right? And COVID hasn't helped, but, you know, there's no greater good. Like, I, I grew up in a family where, you know, you had to look at the greater good of the community or with your family. You know, it wasn't all about you. And sometimes you had to make sacrifices. And a lot of times you had to help people. And sometimes you had to help people that were creating their own problems. But you just couldn't let them continue to be harmed, you know? And, but, but, but I mean, I don't know when that stopped or if it was ever there at the, at the provincial level of politics. It's, it's not there. There's a moral bankruptcy there. Uh, you talked about the uh, the systemic racism. Uh, well, I guess there are many forms of racism. There's the systemic racism, and then there's the everyday kind of racism that still exists in the province, including in Labrador. And you talked in one 
interview about being with your sister in, uh, I think it was in Goose Bay in a restaurant or a coffee shop. <clears throat> and your sister, uh, even though your sister, she looks a little bit different than you because she, she has darker skin and people might uh, see her and, and think uh, that's an indigenous person. Whereas you, they might not think that about you because uh, you maybe look a little bit more like some of your Norwegian uh, ancestors. But anyways, you're there in that coffee shop and she's not getting served. And even though she's a, she's a leader in her community, a principal, I think, in, in the school, she was an Indigenous person not being served because she is an Indigenous person. So that must have been, um, that must have been a very painful experience for you and for her. Well, I, th I think it would... I think it kind of embarrassed her in some ways because of my reaction, but you know, um, racism is hidden. And one of the ways in Labrador that racism is hidden is people from our six indigenous communities in Northern Labrador is not talked about as, as indigenous or Inuit as the North Coast. And she was recognized as being somebody from the North Coast. Mm -hmm i.e. indigenous, darker, you know, and she was there at the counter and the, the, the lady actually serving for the restaurant was just serving everybody that was going through the drive-thru. And then it, sometimes there wasn't even anyone there in the drive-thru and she was, you know, she was actually resupplying her, um, uh, you know, her, her, her things she needed. And my sister was standing there, standing there, standing there. So I went up and I said, what's going on here? You know, and I demanded service. And I was, I was really mad because, you know, like as my sister was principal of the school, she was on the council. Uh, you know, she was a very educated woman, very competent, uh, you know, and this is the way she was treated. Well, I know you have to go, but uh, before you do, I wanted to ask you very briefly about um, your aunt. Ruth Flowers, who was a, uh, a big role model for you. She was, uh, and many listeners will know that name. She received the Order of Canada, big, uh, an important woman in Labrador, involved, a mayor of Mokovic and involved in many things. And she, uh, she was, uh, when she was a teenager, she got a job at the store. And uh, <clears throat> that was one of the few uh, paying jobs. And at first they told her, well, you can't, work in the store because you're not a man but she didn't take no for an answer she got that job and and when you talk about your aunt ruth flower sometimes you say uh, uh, presence leads to acceptance and i wanted to ask uh, i think there is maybe a bit of your aunt ruth flowers in in you leela in terms of being uh, you're an out lesbian um in politics representing a small uh small communities on the north coast of labrador and you know, I think some, uh, even some uh, of us, uh, you know, gay and lesbian people ourselves think that those are hostile places for, for queer people. So what is, what is it like uh, for you being, uh, living your complete self as, as, uh, as a lesbian politician leader uh, representing those uh, indigenous communities on the north coast of Labrador? Well, I think uh, with the Inuit, Inuit, they're 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 more accepting because for for us, it's more about who you are as a person. If you're a good person, that's a good thing. The fact that you may be a lesbian, 
well, why should that impact your acceptance? You know, like one of my greatest supporters was my grandmother. Uh, you know, um, my aunt, my aunt Ruth was very supportive. Uh, the community was supportive. I mean, you know, sometimes people don't understand, so they 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 judge. But, you know, I never had the issues a lot of my other friends who grew up like uh, you know in different parts of the province had. But for me, I always say, you know, I, I'm I'm I, I grew I grew up with two parents that were, were residential school survivors. And it's only now I look back the way we were raised was the way they could protect us from what they had to endure. And you always had to speak up. You always had to be truthful. And if you saw something wrong, you had to try to address it. Because, uh, you know, with, with, with the Inu and the Inuit, it's, people were raised to be quiet, uh, you know, and also too is, in smaller communities, people knew what was right and wrong. You didn't have to go shouting about it. You didn't have to go fighting about it. You know, there was there was a, a level of equality that was built into a community. If somebody was doing something wrong, people didn't like it and people would address it in a quiet way. That person would be ostracized or not allowed to, to advance in what they were doing, you know. Um, but that don't work anymore because of politics, right? Politics, uh, get into power, get the money, have the power and the influence. Some of the worst people are politicians. So that social leveling that existed in indigenous communities and societies is no longer effective. And, you know, and, and that's why like, I'm, I'm not gonna be silenced and I'm not going to beg and plead for something that we're entitled to. And if they're not going to give it to my people, well, I'm going to tell the world what they're doing. And that's all I can do. Uh, you know, and 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 Nunatsibut and uh, you know the Inuban Council on Napishish Chief Nui, they support what I'm doing. I work closely with them. I'll just tell you something funny. I'm 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 running behind, but when I got elected, I used to phone Chief John Nui of Napashish Chief, and I used to phone and, and talk to him with things. And, and sometimes I knew, like when I, was, I used to phone him, I used to wonder, well, why is she calling me? But after a while, he got used to it. And then he started calling me to discuss issues, hmm. right? So we're aligned because we have the same values and we want what's right for our communities. And he's, uh, you know, we're, 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 we're allies and out of that friendship and trust is formed, right? So it's, it's so important. And the Inuit community governments, the Anyukak from each Inuit community government has a great, I have a great relationship with them because I advocate for them. I bring their concerns forward. I try to help them. And that's all I'm going to do. It's, it's not about me, right? Uh, um, for me, is, as long as I'm helping my district, I'm going to continue here, uh, you know, and if I, if I'm not, if I'm not, then I, I shouldn't be here. I tell people that. Well, you're off to meet uh, Nalcor now. So uh, good luck with that. And uh, great to talk to you and yes. to hear about your, uh, your communities on, on the North coast. So uh, thank you very much. And thank you very much. Leela Evans, the NDP MHA for Torngat Mountains.
that's it for the program. Allison Baker is the producer of Mi'kmaq Matters. Rachel Dial is our researcher. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for the latest Mi'kmaq news and views. I'm Glenn Wheeler. Amsat Nogamala.